solo, Justin in the choir, what a beautiful ministry of music, how God has called us to sing, to praise his holy name, we come to worship. Today we deal with a very important event that took place in the life of Jesus found in the Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter, the Transfiguration. We're going to look at that in detail, verse by verse, to help us understand how we are being transformed even into his likeness at this moment. Let us pray. Dear Lord, open up our hearts that we may see through the veil and understand the glory. Lord, let us know this glory is not of the mind, but of the heart. Let us claim this relationship and covenant with one another, that the love you have for us will pour out into our love for each other. Lord, let us know we are about the Father's business. It is very important that we are one accord as we gather and watch the great events of life unfold, that we may claim the promise you have made to us. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. In Matthew, the 17th chapter, in this scripture, Jesus is about to undergo a very very important event. The scripture reads, six days later Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves and he was transfigured so before them and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, we'll make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved, with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked, why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he replied, Elijah is indeed coming and, which, and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. In the scripture, we see one of the great events that took place in the life of Jesus. According to the church doctrine, there are five events that took place that are of great significance, of course, with the baptism of Jesus, this transfiguration of Jesus, the crucifixion of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, and the ascension of Jesus. In my studies, I think the birth of Jesus is the sixth, the first of these great events. And this transfiguration is a moment when the true countenance, the true nature of Jesus shines forth. He is truly man and truly God. And on this day that he climbs up the mountain with his chosen few, 
the inner circle, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and Simon Peter. He goes up the mountain, and most scholars think it is Mount Tabor. I remember years ago when I traveled to the land, and I went on Mount Tabor. You always pray for a moment of enlightenment and discernment to tell you if you are on holy ground. And I can say up on that mountain, I did feel the power of God in a powerful way to think that on this mountain, Jesus, he transformed into his true self. And that is what happened. So let's look at the scripture. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, and led them up on the high mountain. And we think it is Mount Tabor, there in the plains of Jezreel, in the middle of the promised land. So Jesus takes his inner core, we call it in spirituality, those that are closest to the kingdom, who have the heaviest weight placed upon them in their ministry. And so they go up on the mountain with Jesus. It's amazing all the things that have happened on mountains, from the giving of the law in Exodus, the 20th chapter, to Isaiah on the mountain, thinking of the suffering servant, to Moses looking over at the promised land from a mountain, knowing he would not reach it with the people. God works with mountains and hills. Even among other faiths and understandings, mountains always have been seen as holy, a place where you get closer to God. Literally, you get closer to God. I guess that would make airplanes holy too, because <laughs> they fly about 30,000 feet or so, but God is not in proximity to the clouds in our understanding. God is beyond the clouds up in the sky. So six days later, he takes with him these three chosen to go up on the mountain. And it just says, just bluntly, it says in that second verse, and he was transfigured before then. There's no preparation for this. There's no understanding that Peter, James, and John have gotten. There's no indicator that something miraculous is about to happen. There's no star that wise men are following. There's no cross scaffolding being built outside of Jerusalem at the place of the skull. For this event in his life, it comes like a lightning bolt, totally unexpected. And he was transfigured before them. Now let's look at how this transfiguration it materializes and understood by Peter, James, and John. And his face, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. My goodness mercy. Something beautiful is happening. Something wonderful is happening. He is transfigured before them so they can see him as he truly is. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. And not only that was the person of Jesus changed, but the surrounding, the environment. And suddenly, the next verse, the third verse, there appeared to them Moses of all people and Elijah talking with him. Suddenly, the giver of the law, Moses, and the great prophet Speaking of the presence of God, Elijah show up in this moment. And what a beautiful moment it is. Because in this moment, we see the culmination of all the Old Testament, all the laws, all the prophecies. 
from the Torah, the first five books of Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that was written by Moses as inspired by God is now coming to fruition and the truth is now being revealed to Elijah the prophet. Elijah the one speaking of the kingdom of God's love for his people, his chosen people. And now these prophecies, these laws are coming in full vision to these three simple men, fishermen, common men, men of no scholarly training, men of no education other than the school of common sense and of hard work, is being revealed to them, not to scholars in Jerusalem, not the priests. It's being revealed to these new priests, this priesthood of all believers. You, the true nature of Jesus. And then Peter, being Peter, said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. And if you wish... I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, according to most uh, commentaries that preachers do read and try to stay informed with because we want to make sure we're giving the information as contained in the history and tradition of the church, but also the inspiration of the moment. In this moment, Peter being the spokesperson of the disciples, the one who uh, has been given this authority by God, thinks it is his place now to worship. To worship. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to have a worship. Because the worship in this case, when you're out in the country, when you're out in the fields to the ancient Israelites, worship was to put up a brush arbor and hence spring him. You got it. For this church did not start on paper with an architect. This church did not start with planning of human elements. It started because of a lean-to, a brush arbor. It started in revival out here in the country by country folks. And they put up a brush harbor and had a revival. And next thing they know, they got a church. Because it, all it takes to have a church is to have worship. And so Peter wants to worship because he's happy. He doesn't see Moses. And he always wanted to see Moses being a good, young Israelite. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, are excited to be there because they've been invited to the grandest of spectacles, just the grandest of visions, to see that now Jesus is shining like the sun and his clothes have become radiant and he is transformed before them. And so they are unbelievably blessed and they're ready to worship. And Peter says, let us make three dwellings. This is a booth, by the way, the festival of booths, which is our fall festival. This church's autumn sale is biblically based on the Old Testament tradition of booths. And here they're ready to build a worship center. And then while they're doing that, uh-oh, something happens that's even grander than the transfiguration. It's unbelievable. 
Because once again, God appears like he did at his baptism. When he spoke and he said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And suddenly a cloud rolls in. Have you ever been on a mountain and you've had a cloud roll in? That's a very, a very beautiful sight. You're standing there one moment and the next moment a cloud envelops you and you're standing in the mist and you're starting to see the light break through the cloud. And here this happens again. And while he was still speaking, in other words, God interrupted Peter. And God said, with this bright cloud overshadowing them, the voice of God said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Verbatim what he said at his baptism. Except now God adds a caveat. He adds an extra part because we need that extra part. Listen to him. Now when God speaks, what do we do? Do we have a committee meeting? Do we discuss it? Do we vote on it? Is it a democracy? Is heaven a democracy? No, <laughs> it's not a democracy. If it is, it's not heaven. It's hell. Because opinions mean nothing to the truth. Heaven is a single rule of one, God the Father, where his Son and the Holy Spirit dwell, and we are with him. This is my son, he says, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. And then God demands we listen to him. Not to each other, but to him. And what is he saying? What does Jesus want us to hear? In the sixth verse, when the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground. Of course they fell to the ground. You know, the high priests would go in every so often into the holiest of holies beyond the veil, and they would clamp a, 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 a chain around the ankle of the high priest because on occasion God would get angry at the high priest and zap them dead, and the only way they could get the body out of the holiest of holies is to drag them out by the chain. <laughs> so the disciples here do what we all do when we come to God. They fell to the ground and they were overcome by fear. Oh, but we live in a land where God has been made into a character on a TV show. We live in a land where people do not believe and their skepticism is leading to destruction. And they think the game of faith and of life and of death is just a game, not realizing, realizing how serious it really is. Our souls dangle. But we are not to be overcome by fear. We are to be touched by faith. In that seventh verse, that is what Jesus did. But Jesus came and he touched them, saying, get up. Do not be afraid. <laughs> do, do, think about this for a minute. 
These common men that have already walked with Jesus and seen him perform miracles. And up to now, it's been some things like well, walking on water and healing people and some things that certainly are amazing. And they're just something. But now something truly different is happening. And they're seeing the one they thought they knew, Jesus, in a new light. Not only in a new light, but he is the light. <laughs> He's shining like a sun. He's beaming, his face, his clothes are radiant. He's now showing his true nature. He's truly God and truly man. Do not think Jesus is coming again to look at our problems and our pains. He's coming to judge us. And he will judge us all. But thanks be to God. The ones he has touched have already been forgiven. Get up and do not be afraid, Jesus says. And when they looked up, for their eyes could not look upon the radiance of his face, for they would truly die. They looked up because he touched them. They saw no one there except Jesus himself alone. And there we have the faith. And our faith, it is only about Jesus. It is only about Christ. For our rules and our regulations and our pettiness and what we think is right and what we think is wrong, it's nothing and it falls away. And all we have in the faith is Jesus. One of the greatest sermons ever preached by John Wesley was called Almost the Christian. And he describes how people who think they're Christian are not because they do not love Jesus. And I know this doesn't go over well to our postmodern world where we think there's more to this and that, not realizing the simplicity of that single moment when Jesus came and he touched them and they looked up and all the laws and all the prophecies and all the things that they thought they were left with Jesus. Is Jesus enough for you, for me? Is he enough? walk to the grave is he enough when you see the child is he enough is Jesus enough well church doesn't think so and we're all guilty of this we have lost sight of what our purpose is and we're paying the price right now But the amazing thing, we don't have to study it or figure it out or think we can blame or think we can divide. All we have to do is get on our knees and hide our face, not in shame, but in worship. And then Jesus, our Jesus, my Jesus will come and lay his hand upon us. So what happens when you go up on a mountain? You must come down from the mountain. <laughs> oh, Lord, just let me get up there. I'm never going to come back down if I get up there. Just let me get up there, Lord. No, you got to go down, Jerome. For the life is made up of valleys. They were coming down the mountain, and Jesus ordered them, 
God had just said, listen to him. Now God is, or Jesus is ordering them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Did they listen to him? Well, they had trouble with that. Because we like to get ahead of God on a lot of things. We like to do it our way, especially Peter among that group. He felt like he could take it upon himself. But he did listen. And by faith and by forgiveness, he was taught the love by Jesus himself on that seashore after he rose from the dead as the ascended being he is. He said, tell no one. The 10th verse, the disciples then asked another question. Isn't it great to have a God we can ask questions to? Because a lot of people, we can't ask them questions. They think they know all the answers. We don't ask questions. We're afraid to ask questions. But our God expects us like a child to ask questions. Why is the sky blue, God? Why is the ocean wet? Why did you only give us a little bit of snow and not a lot of snow? Hey, weren't that something? The preacher predicted it, you know, Wednesday night. I even said I'd make phone calls and tell people of my new power God has given me. That in the Weather Channel. <laughs> Sisters and brothers, the sky, the birds. Did you see the birds? All the birds? They're snow birds, red birds. They were flying everywhere. The signs are everywhere. They're telling us things are happening. And it was pretty. And some would say it was the best type of snow because it disappeared quickly. And it didn't impact our travel so much, even though there was some black eyes. See, God has made this creation in a special way. And they said, Lord, they said, Elijah is indeed coming and we restore all things. But Jesus said, I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him. And they did to him whatever they pleased. So the Son of Man is about to suffer at their hands. And then Jesus understood and the disciples helped uh, this understanding that the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. In other words, the Christ that we know historically and biblically in these Gospels is the Christ who is suffering. But the Christ who shone that day like the sun is the judge. And he will not suffer but the world will suffer, for its sins are great. We are keepers of this secret, this truth. I have seen Jesus in his true nature. I have seen him in the eyes of the children, the call for justice and equality. I have seen Jesus in your eyes when you suffer. And pain. But I also have seen Jesus in the glory. Because my God wins. Our God wins. The battle that is ongoing. And do not think it is not a battle. It is. Every day we are attacked from within and without. But every day the kingdom grows stronger and more clear. Jesus, after this, says to the disciples, if you tell this mountain to move, it will move. Sisters and brothers, let us move the mountains. 
for the glory of the kingdom. Let us pray. Dear Lord, help us to understand this moment of transfiguration that we may claim the ascended Christ in our lives. That means all of our problems and worries do not hold us anymore. For you are the conqueror of all, even sin and death. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our final